Amen. Amen. Well, guys, tonight we are going to be in the book of Proverbs, and we are inviting you there. Now, you have a couple options. One, you can open up a Bible, and there's Bibles around you if you're wanting to use one of those. But we also passed out these Bible booklets at the door. And again, just a quick reminder, in essence, it's just the Bible. Uh, We took and printed out all of Proverbs chapter 19 uh, in this booklet, and we did so for a reason. We're really only doing this in the book of Proverbs. Once we get out of Proverbs, we're not going to do it again. But Proverbs is a challenging book. It's challenging because each verse kind of moves into another subject. I mean, you're moving through the, the, the book of Proverbs, and it's like, okay, then we jump to the next one, and then we jump to the next one. And so we thought it might be helpful to take it this way and then give you an opportunity to mark up you know, a Bible more than you might mark up your own. And so again, that's the reason that we did this. If you're online right now, we want to make sure you also have an invitation, uh, that if you're wanting to, to do this as well, you can go to our website at calvaryrosal.com. Go under the messages, and under today's message, you'll see a little download link. You can download it, and there'll be a PDF of this booklet. You can print it out, or you can just use it on an electronic device one way or another. Hopefully, it would give you the, the way to be able to do that, because we're going to just mark it up. Now, we're going to use here in this room kind of a color system, just because that's easier for the screen. Uh, you might not have color pencils, and so yours just might be any other thing, but we're going to focus on those things which are good, we'll use green, red for those things which are bad, we'll use purple for that which is of God, and then we'll actually use blue, which I don't think I have on, the, on here, if it's just a statement of fact. We'll focus on the, the, the main thing that was from that, and then a line underneath it that will focus on just the outcome, on, on where it's going. Now, all of that's, again, the way that I'm going to seek to do it, but again, you are free, obviously, to mark it up anyway, but I think there's the challenge to be able to track through the Proverbs that most Proverbs, again, stand alone, and most Proverbs hold two thoughts, either complementary or contrasting, and so kind of being able to begin to see that uh, is a helpful thing, and it's certainly what we want to invite you to. So with that just before us, let's take a moment and now just ask God's help. Uh, Now that we've explained where we're going to go and how we're going to approach it, let's just ask that God would take His Word and make it alive to you. He'd help you and me to understand uh, what He has for us this evening And may God in his faithfulness just do that. So let's pray to him right now. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for wisdom. Lord, it is needed. And I would just want to come before you right now and admit that. Admit what you have told us there in the book of James. If anybody lacks wisdom, we could ask you. And you would give it abundantly, without reproach. It would be given to us. I come asking for it, admitting, just need Lord, in a, in a world that is hard and confusing at times, just asking for wisdom and asking that even tonight you would just shine and show truth to us, speaking into our lives things that we needed to hear. In the midst of this, God, you help us to understand what's here, but as we ask consistently, Lord, maybe one of it, just maybe one of these Proverbs would be the main one we needed to hear this evening. And so I pray that individually around this room, all those joining with us in the overflow and online, that there would be a sense that we would know if there's a, which proverb it was and what one we needed to think, okay, that's the one I'm going to have to chew on a little bit and think through and apply into my life. God, would you help that to be there? Would you help us to hear it? Would you, in your grace, help us to understand it? We ask for that right now, and we ask it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jesus, in speaking to his disciples, told them and told us, for you have the poor with you always. Hey, just understand this. Star Trek gets it wrong. We never do fix this whole thing. I mean, there is no fix to poverty in this world. Now, that's an important understanding because sometimes we can lose sight of it here, or sometimes we could think, hey, just a little bit more. Like, maybe if we did this, it, it would solve poverty in our world. But Jesus very clearly says, hey, this world is so broken, it's never going to be fixed. And and so somehow there is a sense of gazing into the world that you and I live in, and we just know it's broken, it's going to be broken until Jesus comes back, and we are constantly needing His help. That's going to be helpful for us because very specifically in Proverbs 19, He's going to talk a couple of times about poverty and and what that looks like. And in part of that, it's helpful for us to understand, okay, we need to see it. We need to see its challenges. We need to see things that are there and certainly seek to find the things that God has for us. In fact, it's right there that it begins 
in verse 1 and calls us that sometimes choosing that place of poverty is the right choice. He gives it to us this way. Verse 1, better is the poor who walks in his integrity than one who is perverse in his lips and is a fool. So we look at this and we think, okay, so he's going to give us this compliment. We're going to look at this one who's poor. He says it's better. It is better to be poor. And you think, okay, well, how is that better? Well, here's why it would make it better. If you get there because you're doing what's right, because you're walking in integrity, because you're doing the right thing and you're not compromising, you're not you know, being led away into sin. He says it would be better to be poor than, and we'll use kind of a little, little blue line for the contrast or compliment so we can see it. So it says this is what would be better than one who is perverse and his lips, and yet that person's a fool. So he holds these two choices before us and says, okay, so one choice is to be a fool and one choice is to be poor. And it's as if you could see those. Again, it's not always that those are the two choices. But he said, if you have to choose, it would be better. If you had to choose to, be, to say, okay, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to be the person that I'm supposed to be. I'm going to be godly. I'm going to do the right thing in the midst of this. And it might cost me. It, it might cost me uh, my job. It might cost me my income. It might bring me into hard spaces. But it would be better to be pleasing to God. It would be better to, to, to live that life before him because it would mark by his favor than one who would lie and do whatever he has to do to get ahead. And he says that would be a foolish way to live. It would be a foolish way to live you know, in the midst of it, both brokenness here, but brokenness before God. You know, one of the things that this draws out right off the bat is poverty is a complicated thing, and it's definitely not a one-size-fits-all people get into it, but sometimes it's for, you know, not you know, poor choices or, you know, doing wrong things. Sometimes it's because it's the right choices. Sometimes it's helpful for us to understand that sometimes it gets there for that, and he says it would be better to go there in our world and to choose this than to go the other way, and inviting us to value, in that sense, integrity, doing what's right, over everything else in that sense of, of choices that would weigh into that. So good kind of layout, good kind of beginning, and interestingly enough, the next Proverbs is partly connected to it. Now, it doesn't immediately appear that way. I mean, you might read it, and you're thinking, okay, so also it is not good for a soul to be without knowledge, and he who, sent, and he who hastens he sends who hastens with his feet. Well, how is it connected? Because it put the connector right at the beginning. Interestingly enough, it's one of the few Proverbs that do this, that says, okay, also, you know, you know, you know that, and you guys get that. That's kind of those words that you don't ever begin a conversation that way. You don't walk up to somebody and say, also, you know, I want to say, it's like, no, well, what do you mean also? I mean, that's it's like, I'm, I'm telling you something, but then I also want to connect it to this and so we just talked about being wise and walking in integrity, and if it's even costly, that would be a better thing. And then he connects it in an interesting way. He says, it is not good. It is, this is something that is, that is a bad thing. If we're going to think about poverty and folly and all those things, it is not good for a soul to be without knowledge. That, that to look at somebody and say, you know, here's this place of folly or this place of true spiritual poverty, and say, that is not a good thing. To, to watch that thing play out. And then he connects it. And again, another interesting way. And, which is the connector to it, he sends who hastens with his feet. He sends who hastens with his feet. All right. So we're trying to think this thing through. And again, in one sense, the connection itself is interesting, connecting to the, the previous proverb. But even these two right here in the midst of verse two, we're looking at one who is living a life without knowledge, who's, who's not walking in God's ways, who's, who's doing life poorly in that sense, a soul without knowledge. He says, that's not a good thing. Makes sense, right? I mean, we could look at that and say that's true. But the comparison, because these two are meant to be held together in the midst of it, he says, he sends who hastens with his feet. So what is this? Why did he just tell us? How is this helpful? Well, actually, it's really, really helpful. It's something that's practical and honestly can help you in a lot of ways. And, and here's what he's just telling us, that something that so often leads to sin is this place where you know, you're kind of pressed into to, to making a decision quickly, that you rush to do that. Different translations would say this, that last part of Proverbs 19.2 differently. The ESV would say, 
whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. Like, you know, you, you, you make an haste, you're going to miss the course that's in front of you. The New Living Translation says haste makes mistakes, or you know, I think about the haste makes waste, I guess. But in one sense, it says, okay, here's this challenge to understand what this is. And it's a powerful understanding that maybe you already have in your life. Maybe this is one of those nuggets of wisdom that you're like, Jim, I figured that one out. <laughs> like, that's a part of my life. But if not, can I give it to you right now? Because I'm telling you, it'll be helpful. The understanding is that rushing and being rushed so often is one of the things that leads to sin. That, that being in that place where you, you know, don't take time to think it through, you don't take time to process something, when, when you just are being compelled almost to make quick decisions very rapidly, so often those can end up being poor decisions. Now again, I don't mean this as any kind of insult. If you're a salesperson here, don't take it that way, but you probably know. It's a true tactic in sales. If you can create some arbitrary, false sense of urgency, you can force somebody to make a decision. Sometimes a decision that they wouldn't make if they took more time to think about it. You know, you're just like, okay, we're just going to rush you right now, and then it's going to be like, okay, 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 I'll buy it now. You know, I got to do it because, you know, if I don't do it before midnight, you know, it's going to be, it's going to all go away, and the whole world's going to, you know, and, and, and what happens is at that moment, in this pressure sense place, you find yourself making a decision that you wouldn't have made. Well, that's true sometimes in sales, but Satan is the master. Of, of leading people astray, and often he'll do the same thing in your life. That one of the ways that he puts into the ta- place that would force you down a road that would miss God's plan, that miss his best for you, is the place that would cause you to rush without thinking about it. To without like, okay, wait, I'm, I'm going to have to think this through. What's right? What's good? What does God have? Let me pray about it a little bit. And, and it's so often like, no, no, make the decision right now. It's like, well, that's so, I just want you to kind of lock this in there. Again, some of you already have it, but whenever that happens, I just want you to kind of have this little warning light go off. Like, huh, wait, wait, that's interesting. I mean, that's just, it's just, it's just it makes me nervous when, when, I, when that kind of thing happens. It's not that it's not ever legitimate because that would be untrue, but very often it's a tactic that would make me make a wrong decision. And, and so very often it's one of those places that kind of be enforced. It's like, I'm sorry, I can't make that decision right now. I'm going to have to pray about it. I need to think this thing through for a moment. I need to, you know, you're asking me, you're telling me, or I'm, being, I, I, I'm not going to be forced down that road because it would so often lead to folly. And, and I know this, that for some of you, you're like, wish you would have told me that earlier. You know, I mean, I've made a number of mistakes that way, that it's like, you know, at that moment, I mean, I just, you know, felt like this urgency, sometimes a false sense of urgency, and I I just felt like I had to make a decision, and it turned out to be the bad decision. And it's like, if I just would have thought about it a little bit more, if I would have, you know, allowed it to process, it would have kept me from this. And so he compares this to say, you know, it's not good to be without knowledge. It's not good for a soul to, to not be there, and yet sometimes you get there because you don't allow yourself ever to gain that knowledge. Like, okay, you know, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to think, I'm going to put stuff in process before I go astray, and it's a great nugget of wisdom. Honestly, very, very helpful, and, and one that I hope you would lock into your brain as just, again, a place of saying, you know, I, I, I don't, don't rush me. <laughs> you know, I, if, I, if I need to take time, I need to take time, and we'll figure out a way to do that because I, I need to make sure that before I make this decision that God is leading it and it is what he has for my life. Well, much more we could say there, but continue moving through it. We leave verse 2, and now we come to verse 3. The foolishness of a man twists his way, and his heart frets against the Lord. So the focus is the folly of a man, or the foolishness of a man, or a man who's making foolish choices. And he says when he does that, it twists his way. Like it makes a mess of his life. It you know, kind of just distorts in the midst of all that. But at the same time, as he's doing that, his heart does something different. It frets against the Lord. His heart becomes one that, that does that. Now, it's kind of a simple proverb in, in some senses, but it's worth us just thinking it through. What did he tell us? Well, in, in one sense, it's a person's own foolishness that ruins his life. I mean, so often you can look there and say, okay, so what makes a mess of people's lives? Where you look and think, wow, that, you made a mess of that. And so often we go, yep, I did. That was my own folly. That was, 
bad choices. That was being led astray. And that's just true all the way across our world. That's true of sin. And there's probably not anybody in the room this evening that would say, hey, I've never done that. No, you'd be able to say, no, that's true. You know, that so often I, I made, you know, I made a mess of my own life. I, I made a mess of choices. I made some bad choices that you know, put me into, you know, difficult situations. And somehow that's a really good thing to own. Because in contrast, he says at the same moment, this person who is doing that, his heart frets against the Lord. Well, it's an interesting phrase in the Hebrew. It could be saying that there was, this person is resisting God. It's a similar phrase uh, to, to one that we'd seen before that it's almost like a shaking your fist against God. This heart is fretting or striving uh, against God, and that could be true. I mean, honestly, somebody who's making bad decisions and kind of saying, God, I know better. <laughs> I'll make my choice of my own life. I don't need anybody telling me what to do. That would be true. But it's another way that this Hebrew phrase could also be understood as one who actually blames God for the mess of their life. And I just want to pause and say, sadly, this is so common. Uh, Again, it happens all the time. People make a mess of their life, and then they blame God for their mess. People make a mess of their life, and then they're like, well, you know, why isn't God helping me? And you know, and it's really, you know, you know, people who, who rejected even believing in God, you know, before, but then they'll be like, well, I don't know, God, I thought, you know, you say God was good or any of those things. David Guzik, in his commentary on it, said, fools will try to blame God when they ruin their lives. The fool is not willing to accept failure as his own. He says it's a crazy thing. So somebody makes a mess of their own life, and they won't, they won't take ownership of it. Instead, they blame other people, and they blame so often God. I just want to pause and say, that's the exact opposite of what God is calling us to do. The Bible calls you and I to confess our sins, to come in and recognize before God that, uh, you, know, it's, you know, it tells us in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But one of the key things is to come in and confess it. And it has the idea of saying the same thing that we come and we just, just recognize Yep, it was me. Yep, I made, I made a bad choice. I made some bad choices. I made a number of bad choices, you know, in the midst of it. And God, I'm so sorry. And God, I'm, you know, I, I just want to own it. But God says the very moment you do that with him, you can find forgiveness. That to come before Jesus, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you, which is an amazing thing. Why wouldn't you want to come there? I mean, it's, it's one of those places where I almost have this conversation with people, and I've actually, actually I've literally had this conversation with people. It's like, why are you afraid of admitting it? You know, why are you afraid of, of saying, yes, I did the wrong thing? Yes, it was my fault. I did it. I made a really dumb choice. Instead, people are like, well, you know, it's my parents, and it's just culture, and it wasn't really my fault. You know, I, I mean, I know it looks like I made a mess of my life, but it really wasn't my fault. I mean, Pastor, if you would understand just all the circumstances, you know, you would know that, yeah, I'm really kind of a victim of this whole thing, and I'm a nice person, really, I want you to understand. It's, and, and people fight all the time. It's like, why are you fighting? Like, what are you resisting? You're res- are, you, are you thinking somehow that this is going to decimate you? When it's actually the opposite, to come in and say, God, I, I made a mess. It's me. I, I confess my sins. I come in and admit I'm the broken one. And God, you are. I mean, I just hope you understand this. There's not anybody in this room that is kind of thinking, well, I wonder if anybody, not me, I'm not that person. I've never, I'm not broken. I'm not, you know, somebody who's, you know, destroyed things with my own choices. No, everyone in this room has. We are all sinners. We are all broken. And yet what power there is to come in and say, God, I don't want to mess my own way up. I don't want to twist my own course anymore. I want to come out of this and go right, but so often it begins in this place instead of fretting or striving or arguing or blaming God, coming before him and saying, God, you're right, and I need your forgiveness, and I need to be led straight, and it's a great place to come. It's a great place to come and a good place which just calls us to wisdom, and so may God draw you there this evening. All right, well, you can turn the page. Verse 4. Wealth makes many friends, but the poor is separated from his friend. So this is one of the many Proverbs that talks about poverty in this chapter, and I'm going to use it as a blue uh, line, which is really not a good thing, which is why I'm using green or red, bad. It's kind of just a statement of fact. It's just true. Wealth 
makes many friends. But in contrast to it, the poor is separated from his friend. Now, I just want you to think about this for a moment. This isn't an encouragement to do. This isn't God saying, hey, this is what you should do. He's just saying, hey, this is how it works. This is how it works in the world. And I I don't think it's that complicated. I think if we're all together honest, we go, that's actually true. That's actually true. And it's kind of a sad thing. See, if somebody's wealthy, if somebody's doing well, it so often is that people are attracted to be their friends. But if that's you, or you know anybody in that space, one of the problems with the person who is really wealthy is they, they don't actually know who's really their friend. Like, who wants me for what I have? Who, who's after me for what they can get from me? But they really don't like me. Wealth has a problem that does that. It kind of creates this space where sometimes people are drawn to it. Poverty goes the other direction. This is when you have nothing. <laughs> it's like people aren't interested in you because they can get nothing from that. So often it separates friends. And again, that's just a simple statement of fact. It is honestly true, but it's not encouraging it. In fact, can I go this way and say, I think about Jesus, that it tells us that though he was rich, he became poor for our sakes, that for us, we could become rich, that he looked at our poverty and said, I'm coming after you. You know, I'm not abandoning you in your poverty state, which we are all spiritually poor. He chose to go against that, and we didn't deserve it. It wasn't like any sense that he chose in his love to to make himself poor, to, to enter into our space to rescue us. And so there is a sense that we could look at this and think, hey, I get it. That's true. Um, but I don't want that to be true. I recognize it as a fact uh, of life, but it is not necessarily the way that I should go this. And so I'll just simply say it this way. Maybe you have a friend who really is wealthy, then be their friend. Do, their very, do your very best to prove to them, I'm not after you for your money. And I, I just want to be your friend. I'd be your friend if you didn't have anything. Do you have somebody that's poor? And, and, and maybe that you find yourself honestly kind of feeling it, like, man, it's, just, it's, it's a drain. It's, it's hard. They're always needy. But choose to be their friend. Say, I, I know what the world does. I know the way this works, but it's, it's not the godly way. It's not what God would do. I think of Jesus, and I want to be more like him than, than just like life, though we would recognize it as a statement of that's just the way things work in our world naturally, but it isn't necessarily what we're being called to. May God just grow us in that, helping us to walk through just the realities that are honestly there. All right, next verse, verse 5. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who, speak, who speaks lies will not escape. So someone who's a liar, who's a false witness, he says, there's, there's no, you, you will face judgment for that. You will be punished for that. And the person who speaks lies, he says, it does that. They, they will not escape. Now, this is one, that, one that's been repeated through Proverbs. In fact, it's going to be repeated twice here in Proverbs 19. So it's obviously a big deal that God is just telling us, you know, here's this thing. Don't do it. Don't, don't, don't be a false witness. I mean, you could think about this in a legal matter. You know, don't be someone who gets up and lies to the court to try to, you know, get something to go the way you want it. But you could think about it in life with friends or anything else. Don't lie. Don't, don't be deceptive to try to get what you think you want out of it. That's the way the world plays games, and it's not meant to be us. We are meant to be truth, that Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't, don't, don't make it so that you have to, you know, lie and, and, and work those things up. Don't do that because here's the deal. It will always bite you. It will always come back. It says that false witness will, will, will be punished both in this world, but even standing before God. It is never the right choice. It is never the right choice to choose to be deceptive, to handle something with lies. It's not the way God would want us to work there. And he certainly simply calls us away from it. Well, more on that because we'll get to see it again. Go to the next one. There in verse 6. Many a treat the favor of the nobility, and every man is a friend to one who gives gifts. So we're kind of gone back to that theme that we're talking about poverty and riches, but in a different perspective. And so again, I'll use blue. Many entreat the favor of nobility. So somebody who has position is the idea, who has prominence. A lot of people want to be their friend. Because again, what they can gain out of it. And every man who is a friend to one who gives gifts. I mean, the person who's generous and kind, people often will choose to be their friend for altogether the wrong reasons. 
Again, just a simple statement of fact. There's not anybody in this room that go, man, I'd never seen that. Never, ever saw that. It's like, no, I see that. I see it, I, I see it happening. That people are driven so often by their selfish, their selfish ambition, driven by their, what, they, what they want for themselves. And it's just a part of our world. It actually plays out constantly in so many layers. But again, it's not a call to us to it. It's a call for us to recognize it and say, okay, that, that's true. That's the way it works. That's the way it happens. Sometimes it, you, you go against that flow, and other times you might be that person who is, you know, has a position, or you might be that person who is kind, and then sometimes you just recognize, yeah, that's the way it works. You know, I'm not surprised. I'm not, I'm not like, well, I just didn't think that would happen. It's like, I know that's the way it happens, you know, but it doesn't change me from being what I'm supposed to be or walking in the way that I'm supposed to walk. It just works that way. In fact, it continues in that, going to the next page, verse 7. It says, all uh, the brothers of the poor hate him. How much more uh, do his friends go far from him? He may pursue them with words, and yet they abandon him. So you, we're looking at the poor, and he says, okay, for the person who's really there and poor, I mean family. Those who are legitimately connected to him so often, they hate him. They're just like, oh, man, it's such a, a hard thing to kind of walk through. It kind of finds itself there. How much more often, you know, how much more it can be do his friends go far from him? Do his friends just who were this become those who would abandon him? And it just, it kind of is a tragic picture because he says, you know, even he may pursue them with words like, hey, you know, don't do this. Don't, don't, don't abandon me. And yet they still so often do. Again, just, it's just one of those statements. He says, that's just the world. That's the way that we see that. It shouldn't be surprising to us, again, if we're on the receiving end of it, Shouldn't be surprising again if we see it, but again, not calling us saying, hey, this is what you're supposed to do. He's just saying, hey, this is how it works, and yet again in Christ. So much better for us to recognize we go a very different direction than that. Well, we already talked about that, so we'll just keep going. Verse 8, he who gets wisdom loves his own soul. He who keeps understanding will find good. It's one of those Proverbs that just speaks the value of what you're doing tonight. It says, here's this thing. If you will get wisdom, if you will pursue saying, okay, well, I, I want wisdom. I want to know how to handle life better. I want to make the right choices. I want to know how to handle godly choices in the midst of my world. It says, if you do that, it's good for your soul. You, you're, you're loving that which God made you to be because you're choosing to walk in his ways, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be life-giving to you. It's going to be a blessing to you. It's this place that, that does that in an incredible way. If you keep that understanding, if not only do you seek it, but then you hold on to it, he says, you're going to find out. That's good. That's a good thing. Not just to that place of saying, well, I'm interested, but if you will gain that which God wants you to gain, he says, it's going to work good in your life. You know, think about it tonight. We've, we've kind of said that we hope you understand the Proverbs. We're hoping it just speaks, but I would love it if one of them is yours. And that you'd say, okay, that's the one that I need to apply into my life. He says, if you'll listen to that and gain it, like, okay, I'm not going to let go of that. I'm going to take this nugget of wisdom and I'm going to pour it into my heart so that it helps me change the way I live my life. He says, you're going to find out that'll navigate life good for you. You'll find out that God, he's not just saying things just for saying it. Really, he's calling us to be able to navigate life in a way that would be good, that would work good in our lives. In many ways, he's almost inviting you. Hey, prove it out. Like, walk these ways and find out, you know, God does actually know what he's saying. He really is speaking life to us. He really is inviting us to say, hey, this would be good for my soul. This would find good in my life. And may it be that we are exactly those people even right now. All right. Well, next proverb, verse 9. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who speaks lies shall perish. So here's the statement again of what we saw in verse 5. He's saying it again. If you're a liar, if you're a false witness, that you're going to be punished in the midst of that. And he who speaks lies shall perish. Like that's going to go that way. I mentioned it just a moment ago, but I'll just say it again. You know, if God gives, if he says it once in the book of Proverbs, it's worth you understanding because it's true. He only needs to say it once for it to be true. He only needs to say it once for it to be like, that's something I should believe. When he goes out of his way to say it again, it ought to be one of those things that you like, okay, I'm listening. And maybe we need to say that because this is one of those ones that you could almost like, oh yeah, that's probably, yeah, let's go on. <laughs> let's go on to the next one. And yet we don't recognize how much it's there. 
Satan, uh, Jesus said, he is the father of lies, that he is one that breathes lies into our world. So de- deception and lies become just so much a part of our broken world, so much a part of what happens is that it, that it, that it is marked on people who lie and, and walk in lies, so much so that it can almost become second nature. Again, I know it's not speaking to everybody. We've all probably struggled. And let me be very clear. We all have struggled with being truthful. But for some of you, maybe I'm speaking to somebody right now, this is a big deal because almost instinctually, you just have no problem lying. I mean, you just, it's like sometimes you, you lie for like no apparent reason. Like somebody asked you something that you did and there was no reason you shouldn't just tell them, but you lie about it. You're like, why, why, how, what's going on? I mean, there's a brokenness there that's going to go badly. And he's just saying, hey, you just need to recognize that always brings about harm. That always brings about destruction. That always is going to be this place of perishing. Thankful in Christ, we can be forgiven, but it has to come into this place of saying, this wrong. Like, I, that's a wrong way to live my life. This would be a way that would be choosing to go down a path that would be destruction. May God rescue us from it. May we believe how serious he makes that. Help us not to be liars, God. All right, verse 10. Luxury is not fitting for a fool, much less for a servant to rule over princes. So luxury, this idea of success or, you know, even financial prominence, but again, the idea in the Hebrew word has this idea of of doing very well, of being almost promoted and going well. He says when a fool gets that, it's as if, well, that's wrong. That's just wrong. It just shouldn't be it that way. He says much less for a servant, someone who, you know, really is in that space, not being powerful, not being prominent, when they rule over princes. It's as if you look at this and say, this is just wrong. It just shouldn't be that way. Now, here's the deal. It is this way sometimes. Now, again, he's using terms that apply into that culture, but we could very quickly apply it into our culture, and I'll just try to say it this way. You know, sometimes the wrong people get promoted to be managers and supervisors and people in business. And you're like, you should not be that. It, 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 is, it is not good for a fool to, to be lifted up into that place. Like, that's a bad deal. I mean, it just shouldn't be. I mean, the people who should be the supervisors and managers, they should be the ones that, you know, are wise and, and know how to handle things and, 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 and speak with kindness. And it's such a tragic thing when you're like, how did you get promoted? How did you get it? I mean, I'm just, I know that I'm just kind of just saying this, but I just have a feeling for some of you, like, man, that's just exactly what I think about. And then sometimes you look there and you think, okay, here you have this person who should be a servant that will just say it this way. Hey, they should, they should be a good employee. They shouldn't be the boss. Like, how did they get to be promoted? How did they become the one that rules over the other people that, well, they should be there? I mean, it's as if you look at that and think, that, that's just broken. I mean, that just, it shouldn't be that way. Somehow that you should be able to see it and just say, that's not fitting. It's not the way it's supposed to be. It's not that that's a, it's a, it's a broken space. And I guess in one sense, what I'm trying to tell you is it's not bad to be able to recognize that. Not that we become, you know, cruel or judgmental or speak those things, but sometimes it's just good to be able to look at it and say, that's wrong. I, again, I know I'm speaking to us just generally, but I really have a sense I'm speaking to somebody and, and it's your world right now. It, it's in your job. It's in the, the place where you work, and, and it's actually a struggle for you. You're like, how did this person become my boss? I mean, how? Like, they don't, they, they're just, they, they don't ever handle situations well. They, they cause problems. They're just speaking without wisdom. It's like, oh, this is just wrong. And somehow it's just like, yep, that's wrong, because it should be the other way. Wisdom should bring success, and it should be the, the one who, who walks in that, and yet it isn't that way so many times. And somehow it's just good for us to know, hey, that's bad. It's bad. It's not supposed to be that way. All right. Well, next one. Verse 11. The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook a transgression. When someone can be that one who love covers a multitude of sin, who is discreet, who's not a gossip, who's not the person who and just, you know, it, it runs at things. He says, when you're discretion and you're walking in that, it makes you slow to anger. It makes you so, so that you become this person who's like, hmm, you know, I'm not going to immediately blow up about this. Now, Proverbs has said this a number of times, and I just quickly pause and say it again. It's not wrong to be angry. The Bible calls us to be angry and sin not. 
that, that there's a righteous anger. But how do you know righteous anger from wicked anger? Very often, unrighteous anger is explosive. It moves from zero to 60 in like seconds, you know. And it's like, and you haven't let it, like, okay, you know, I haven't heard every story. I don't know all of the, the thing yet. I'm going to think about this. I'm not going to immediately jump to conclusions. I'm going to be wise about this. I'm not going to immediately get angry. There's a good place of wisdom that should have a number of checks that would keep you from just very quickly going there. And it should make you, not that you don't ever get angry. If you don't ever get angry, that's actually a problem because our world is broken. There should be things that make you angry, but you should be slow to get there. Wisdom would help you be slow to get there so that you're listening and you're thinking, and you're paying attention, and you're questioning, and you're saying, okay, I don't know the whole story yet. I'm not going to let it just go that way. Wisdom would cause us to do that. And at the same moment, there is this place where adding to it, sometimes it's glorious, when you can just say, you know what? Yeah, I heard it, and there's some wrong things, and one of the things Proverbs is telling us, you know, is this place of being able to be kind and gracious to other people to do, as I just quoted a moment ago, that love covers a multitude of sins that Peter would tell us in the New Testament, quoting out of the book of Proverbs, that you and I are supposed to be that way. That there ought to be, it's, it's glorious when we can say, you know what, I, I, I do see something broken in you. I do see something happening, but you know what? There's, I don't need to tell it. I mean, I don't have to gossip. I don't have to tell everybody. I mean, if, if it's sin that needs to be confronted, that's a different story. If it's something that's kind of a Matthew 18 that I need to kind of, you know, lovingly do my best to rescue you from, then we do that. But when it's not that, there's this great place of just being, you know what? I'm, I'm not a gossip. I, I don't do that. And it's such a beautiful place because the Proverbs has been calling us to do that, but I just love the way it puts it. He says, this is glorious for you. This is glorious. If you, like our God, can be gracious and you can be like, you know what? It's okay. You know, I see that, but it's not, it's not something that needs to be confronted right now. And I can be gracious in this and not again become angry. And he, and he invites us into this very godly place that would lead us into good. May God make us such. All right. Verse 12. The king's wrath is like a roaring of a lion, but his favor is like dew on the grass. I think I'll use blue again for this one because in some sense this is a statement of fact, a king being the one who is the leader in those days, the one prominent in that. He says, if the king's angry with you, if the king's angry with you, it's like, it's scary. It's like a lion. It's like, oh, okay, that's, you're in trouble kind of deal. But his favor, when it's there, it's like dew on the grass. It's this beautiful place of being able to say, stay that. So it's a simple statement of fact that would be simply true. To being on the right side of this, you know, is a good thing. When, when those in power, you know, have you in, in their target, it's a scary space. And yet it's a good space to do this. Having said that, I can't help but look past this and say, I'm so glad that for, for me, you know, that I'm on the right side of this with not just a king, but with the king of kings. You know, that in one sense, to be in the place where our God, where you would find yourself subject to his wrath, it's, it's destructive. Our God is. He's, he's angry at sin every day. He's a God who's going to judge the world. He's going to judge sin. And his wrath is going to be poured out on this world outside of Christ. That's fact. That's just truth. And if you're outside of Jesus, then right now the wrath of God hangs over you. It, it hangs over you in a way that you would need to see that. You'd have to say, okay, there's terror there. there there's, there's a terrible place uh, that would be as scary as, you know, a lion roaring outside your tent door. It's like, it's right there. This is death to me. This is, this is destruction to me. But to be on the right side of our king, it's like, it's beautiful. It's like dew on the grass. It's that fresh morning, crisp feel that you would find yourself being rescued that if you know Jesus, if you come, have come into a relationship with Christ, what he does is bring us into that relationship with God that we in Romans would say, because of Christ, we have peace with God, that he's brought us out of the place of wrath into the place of life. And, and I want to tell you, that's a great place. And if you're with me tonight, if you know Jesus and you're on the right side of this, I just want you to see this. I just want you to say, I'm glad I'm on the right side of this. I'm glad I'm not on the side of his wrath. I'm glad I'm on the side of his favor. But if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus, can I say it as clear as I can? You're on the wrong side of this. You're not in his favor. You're subject to his wrath. And there's a sense of saying, okay, let me see it and, and be rescued because you can be rescued. 
That's what Jesus does. He's a God that saves. He's a God that works in the midst of that. All right. Well, let's flip the page um, and think through what he has next. Verse 13 says, A foolish son is a ruin of his father, and the contentions of a wife are a continual dripping. So he draws us to see this and says, so a son who's doing foolishly, who's making bad choices, and the idea is a son or a daughter, you get it, it's kind of generic in that sense. He says it, it is a ruin. It is a place of sorrow. Again, this has been a, par- a subject in Proverbs that we've talked about a couple of times, but I think about how it says in the New Testament that there's no greater joy than to hear of our children doing well, of walking in the truth. I think that's true. And yet one of the greatest sorrows, one of the greatest sorrows, uh, is when a, when a kid is doing poorly. And, and I know I'm just speaking as, as kind as I can say this because I know I'm talking to some of you right now. And you're like, that's true. <laughs> that's me. Uh, you know, your, your kids are not doing well. They're making bad choices. They're not walking with Christ. They're, they're doing, and, and you would just sit there and say, it, it's as if it just ruins me. It just undoes me. It undoes my life because I'm just so sad over the state of where my kids are. And so he just wants to tell us that's true. It, it can affect us poorly. So it can be almost this ruin of a father. And then he adds to it. And the contentions of a wife are a continual dripping. So how did we get there? How did we get from the child to a a, a wife? Well, again, let's just quickly talk about it. There's a sense that he's looking here at the contentions. The contentions probably would be the idea of well, we would say it, maybe in our modern vernacular, the nagging of a wife, of the critiquing and uh, tearing down of that. And I don't want to spend a long time on this because we've done it in other, other parts of Proverbs, but I will just quickly say it. Hey, ladies, there's something to hear here. And I want to say it carefully because you are made by design. You are made by design, and there are good things to it, but the good thing that God has given you can so easily become a negative thing. The good thing that God has made, women here, this is almost weaved into your DNA, is that so often women are more sensitive. They are more able to just kind of see things more quickly. They're the first at the cross. They're the first at the tomb. There sometimes can be there. There is this, this sensitivity that sometimes can just make women more sensitive to God, more sensitive to things happening around them, more sensitive to people. It can be a really, really God-given good thing, the bad thing is where that sensitivity becomes nagging, critiquing, tearing down, going that way. And the Bible just tells us that. It does never speak to, to men that way, not that men can't ever be nags, because they can. But it is something that he just lays here and says, that's going to be a bad thing. And it's just worth you knowing and saying, okay, that's obviously where we don't want to go. A godly husband, a godly wife would go in a different direction. So in one sense, we could sit there and say, okay, I get that this is talking about that that there is this place that where instead of if a wife is instead of being a godly wife that it's just like this continual dripping just this continual emptiness and brokenness and and irritation so how does this come together well in a very simple way if you put these two together it's as if to just tell us what we should obviously understand that what happens in the home so often you know just flavors all of life that the home, that, that what the, the, the marriage and the children, you know, that first place that God calls for relationships, that first place that he creates them, so often those are the things that determine joy and, and peace. And when those aren't there, when those aren't there, it is so often empty. It is so often just that space where it empties everything out and it's a tragic thing that you just need to understand. Much, much we could say here, but I'll just simply say, first of all, grace. Some of this is outside of your control. Some of you are like, man, my, my kids are doing poorly or my marriage isn't doing poorly, but it's not my fault. I mean, I'm actually trying to do the right thing. They're doing the wrong thing. That does happen. And some of you just say it does. It empties life out. I get that. But also, I just want to call you right now that for some of you, you would just understand how real this is, that Satan understands this more than you do. That as goes the home, so goes the nation, so goes the world. The, the family was the first building block of society, that Adam and Eve, the f- marriage, and then children. It's, it's that building block that is part of what God does. And so when that's going well, when, when, you, when your marriage is going well and your family's going well, I don't know if I could just say it well. It's just like somebody's like, I can handle anything. Like I could, you know, so what? You know, so what if the, you know, 
paying five dollars a gallon for gas or whatever. I don't really care. I got, I got, I, I'm doing well. But if that's not doing well, everything is, is, is empty and everything drives you crazy. And so there is a place for us to say, I see where Satan's attacking. I, I see that he's attacking the family because it is so often there. May you be one that's going the other way, that's seeking to have good families, seeking to have a good marriage in the midst of it. Well, is with that, let's just quickly look at the next one where it simply says it this way. It says, houses and riches are an inheritance from the fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. So it says in, 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 in life, so often families, they can, they can do this. So houses and riches, that can be what a family does. Inheritances uh, that so often can be a part of lives where it can say, okay, what, I, what, what people can pass down can be so often money and, and so often, you know, getting those inheritances that would be a part of life. It says that's what they, where it is. But a prudent wife, uh, one who is the opposite of what we saw in verse 13, this contentious uh, wife, this prudent wife, he says, you just need to see this. That's God. That's God. I mean, see, if, I, if, if I'm saying this poorly, if I'm saying verse 13 poorly, that moves into this, it would say like, well, just fix it. I mean, you can do it. I mean, so marriage is hard or kids are hard. Just you do everything you can to make it right. Some of you go like, I, I can't fix it. I mean, that's the problem. There's so much out of it in my control. But when it's right, when you can look and say, I'm so glad that's not my marriage. I'm so glad that's not my children. I'm so glad that things are going well. Then there ought to be a sense to say, God, that was you, because like I didn't do that. I'm not the one that can, I'm not the one that does that. If it's, if it's good, it's, if it's of God, it does this incredible thing that he then becomes the source, that we recognize him as the source of that and, and be able to see that and be able to walk in the midst of all that that is. You know, in so many ways, we look at life and just recognize the, the need of seeing this, of seeing where God is and the way that he's doing this and the, the way that, that he you know, just builds into the midst of this and the, the way that he works this. Well, I was going to try to make it a couple more verses, but I think I'm probably going to have to stop there, and it's a weird place to stop. You know, I just want to tell you, it's a little bit weird place to stop. I really was going to try to make verse 16, but I want to pause there because tonight, you know, we find ourselves as we're walking through this whole place of thinking about wisdom, thinking about all that's there, we, found ourse- we find ourselves in a place where it is the last Wednesday night of the month. What that means for us is it's going to be a place that we let you have an opportunity to take communion. Now, I just want to be honest. It, it caught me off guard. It was funny. I mean, we, we do communion a couple times a month, and so we do it on Sunday mornings, uh, the second Sunday of the month, and the last Wednesday of the month, we give you time to take communion. And I don't know why. I mean, I know this. We passed up bookmarks on Sunday, but it's the last Wednesday of the month, and it's not February. I don't I just, like, all of a sudden, we're just, I mean, it's crazy how fast things are going, but I'm so glad we're here. And we just want to call you into this to see this. So we've talked about a lot of things tonight. We've talked about wisdom. I've talked about godly marriages and godly families. We've talked about lies. We've talked about the way things that work in the midst of this. But I want to say it in the most simple way I can. The answer to the broken world that we face is Jesus. I mean, that we, everything that we've seen tonight, you know, whether it be lies, he's the one that rescues, and he's the one that, that invites us into this place of confessing our sin. Or whether it be poverty, he's the one that said, I will humble myself to rescue you out of that. That whether it be brokenness in any space, that Jesus has become the one that can bring us into that life that is that in our life. So as we approach this this evening, I need to pause there and say, it's very possible that in this room right now, or joining us online right now, you're outside of this that in a moment we're going to take part in communion that's a reminder of Jesus dying on the cross, rising from the grave, of his sacrifice for our lives. And I'm just pleading with you now, if you're outside of that, if you don't have this tonight, if Jesus isn't your Savior, if he isn't the one who is your Lord, that if you haven't come to that place of finding yourself not on the wrath side of the king, but on the grace and favor side of the king, then we're telling you the only way to get there is Jesus. He's the one that rescues us from God's wrath. He's the one that brings us into God's favor or God's grace. And, and it's the only way. Jesus says, I'm the, the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to the Father but, but through me. So if that's you tonight, we just want to invite you into a relationship with Jesus. We invite you as you see this to see your need. And if you need to talk to us afterwards, we'd love to talk to you about this. But again, just to see this need. And so if you're not here and you're not in that place of knowing Jesus, we're going to take communion, but it's not really for you. It's not really something that you should take part in. It's not that it's going to hurt you, but it's untrue. 
And so we're just inviting you, hey, don't take part in communion. Instead, just listen, although there is always the better option. Maybe you're wanting to move from God's wrath to His grace tonight through Christ, then it would be a great place to take communion and ask Him to be your Savior. So we definitely lay that out for you. Again, if you have questions about that, come up and just let us talk to you about it afterwards. For the rest of us, if you know Jesus, then this is yours. This is your opportunity to take communion. If you know Him, this is a space where you get to come and say, okay, thank you. Thank you for being my rescue. Thank you for being that one. It may be that space where you want to come exactly opposite the fool who doesn't admit, hey, I've made a mess. I'm the one who's broken. I'm the one that needs forgiveness. And I want to humble myself and, and do that and, and just longing for even in the time of taking communion that it would be that reflection again of both our need and, and of the wonder that Christ is to us, that he would be the one that would draw us out of this into his favor and, and goodness. So here's how we're going to do this. On Wednesday nights when we take communion, we do it just a little bit differently. So I'm going to pray in a moment. When I'm done praying, uh, the worship team is going to come up and they're going to lead us in a couple of songs. At the same moment, we're going to place the communion elements up here in a couple spaces up at the front of the church, and we're just going to invite you whenever you're ready. Whenever you're ready, any time in the midst of those two songs, come up and take communion. Uh, you can come up and grab it here. There's two cups. The bottom cup has the bread. Top has the juice. You can take communion up here. You could stand. You could kneel. You could go back to your seat. You could take it back to your seat, and you could take communion there. Uh, just whenever you're ready. It can be in the first song. It could be in the second song either one, and then when you're done taking communion, just continue worshiping with us. Again, it'll just be a couple songs, but there is this space where we're just longing for it to be you, just genuinely you, presenting yourself before God and allowing that just to work into your life, and we invite you into it. FYI, if you take the communion cups back to your chairs, in these new chairs right there in front of you, you'll notice there's a little square, you know, kind of place. That's a communion cup holder. So when you're done with your communion cups, just stick them in there, and we'll come and pick them up later. It'll keep you from having to sit there and hold them and not know what to do with them. And so, again, that is there. So with that, as I just held out his invitation, let me lead us in prayer and ask that God would meet us in this space and then draw us to what he has for us. God, I thank you for wisdom. I thank you for wisdom.